Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Matt Gray, the Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Cleveland. Hey, Matt. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Great to have you on the show. Really looking forward to our discussion with you. Yes, same, same here. So Matt works on all things urban sustainability and leads the sustainability, Sustainable Cleveland 2019 initiative to create a thriving green city on a blue lake. He is responsible for advising the city on policies related to sustainability and leading implementation of the Cleveland Climate Action Plan. This position follows completion of a U.S. Fulbright Fellowship in Mauritius, where Matt researched climate change impacts and governance. Prior to receiving this grant, he served four years with the U.S. Department of Energy's Federal Energy Management Program. Matt worked largely on green building and climate change, serving as chair of the Interagency Sustainability Working Group to make green building standard practice throughout the federal government. Matt, it is uh, just such, such a joy to have this opportunity to speak with you today. And I know that as a chief of sustainability for the city of Cleveland, you are really positioned at the nexus of so many different stakeholders in government and private sector and in the general public. And I'm, I'm just curious, sitting, sitting there at that, at that center point, what is that like for you day in and day out? Uh, well, you know, I've had a, a variety of jobs, and this has been my favorite one uh, because it is, uh, it's really interesting, yeah, I like the word to use, nexus, because um, it's very real. You know, we are doing day-to-day -day projects, you know, a specific street, what kind of complete street, you know, work do we do to make it more bicycle or pedestrian friendly um, to the specific solar, you know, array we want to put on this city building. Um, but then we also work with, you know, 200 plus other people like me. Uh, throughout North America, other uh, sustainability directors or sustainability chiefs, all collaborating to really, you know, collectively have, uh, you know, very significant impact um, in cities really across this country. Um, so it's, it's, it's a great uh, position to be in to have, like, you know, really focus on real projects, but also be part of this bigger conversation on how do we create national, but also uh, global impact. Yeah, it's, it's so important, obviously, to have that national scope or even that global perspective with all that we're doing while also really mobilizing on the ground in neighborhoods in communities where we can affect specific and substantial change mm -hmm. yeah i think uh that is right the neighborhood focus uh, especially in cleveland um is where it's at you know we have our uh, cleveland climate action plan uh, we launched that in 2013 and then we updated it last year uh but it's you know it's titled you know cleveland climate action plan you know, creating uh, thriving and resilient uh, neighborhoods. So the, the whole focus of the work is at the neighborhood level. You know, in, in Cleveland, and I think most cities are like this, we, we are a city of neighborhoods. Uh, we have, you know, I would say 25 distinct neighborhoods and they're all different. And, you know, to create solutions that make sense, um, you kind of have to build from the bottom up at that neighborhood level. So that's a, where a lot of our work uh, is sort of resident engagement, business engagement, um, and, and working with trusted partners in those neighborhoods uh, to kind of expand the tent of engagement, I guess, on, around sustainability. Um, so you know, how do we make that choir bigger? Uh, and I think, fortunately, we've had a 10-year initiative here 
uh, started in 09, Sustainable Cleveland 2019. We've arrived, um, but it's a, that sustained commitment over time has allowed us to kind of, you know, advance every year a little uh, more forward in terms of the, the amount of people engaged in this topic, which has been great. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I'm excited to hear more about it. And uh, I'm just wondering um, to uh, fill in some of our audience who may not be as familiar with Cleveland, um, what, what's it like? It's on one of the Great Lakes. Um, what's it like as a community? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I live here. I've been here a while. I grew up here. I went away for a while, but came back and um, you know, so I know you know a lot of its intricacies, but still, when I travel, sometimes you know people hear the word Cleveland and they'll think, uh, "Oh, that that city where the river caught on fire, and where uh, your sports teams are are awful." <laughs> um, so it's more much more than that. Uh, and in fact, we are um, this year we marked 50 years since uh, the the infamous Cuyahoga River fire, uh, on June 22nd, 1969. Um, and, uh, you know, really, we marked 50 years of progress uh, in Cleveland. And I think that sort of river fire story kind of, in many ways, encapsulates Cleveland. Um, we think back to 69, and Cleveland was still one of the largest cities in the country. Um, and, you know, really industrial manufacturing city made a lot of things, still do. But, um, and then, you know, over that time, and really since World War II, our population decreased significantly from about a million to today, it's a, a little less than 400,000. Um, so, you know, a lot of kind of white flight to the, to the suburbs and uh, really created a lot of challenges over time with the tax base. Um, you know, lost a lot of manufacturing jobs. Uh, but what's exciting um, is that we, I think for the first time maybe since World War II, we've, we've seen sustained uh, progress really over these last, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years, especially since the recession. I think it gets, uh, people feel like this time, you know, it's real. There's sort of been uh, fits and starts of a comeback for Cleveland, I think, over the years, but this one feels right. Um, and we're, and the whole idea with sustainable Cleveland is how do we transform this economy in Cleveland so it's a sustainable one? And I think our mayor, Mayor Jackson, that was his focus from the beginning. You know, as we rethink uh, what the city looks like, um, how do we do it in, in a way that really makes us more resilient to these kind of external shocks like a recession. Um, so that's been a lot of the focus of the initiative. I'm really, I'm really interested. So, uh, you know, I have my family and relatives hailing from the upstate New York region, which is also in that Great Lakes zone, also was at the heart of the country's industrial uh, mechanism back leading into World War II and past World War II. And, and has seen a lot of economic decline since then, as has much of that Great Lakes region. And, and I'm curious, with some of the developments now with uh, communication technology, advances in things like the internet, and uh, what basically is enabling uh, entrepreneurs, uh, business owners, and others to locate just about anywhere, um, how, does that, how does that play for your guys' work around sustainability? Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, we have lost a lot of the, the, the big industry, but there still is a lot left. Um, just in Northeast Ohio, there's still 6,000 you know, manufacturers. In the city of Cleveland alone, there's 900. I um, mean, when we look at our carbon footprint for a city, it's, it's, it looks a lot different than almost every other city out there that's doing carbon footprints. It, the industrial sector is still the biggest sector in terms of emissions. Uh, we have a steel plant, you know, a big steel plant that still operates in the city. Um, 
So, you know, some of our work, you know, is some of the traditional stuff you'll see in a lot of cities. We work with a lot of residents, you know, residential buildings, commercial buildings, certainly suites, but we also need to engage in that industrial sector, which in many ways is, can be difficult, you know, especially these small and medium sized manufacturing companies. Um, so that's still there, but you know, I think like some cities, uh, Pittsburgh is a good example. There are arch nemesis, but I will uh, give them a shout out. They, they did, did do a good job of sort of diversifying their economy and, and Cleveland's certainly on that road as well. You know, we're not gonna be a solely industrial economy. So healthcare in Cleveland is huge. We have the Cleveland Clinic, uh, University Hospitals and others, you know, huge employers. And in fact, the clinic is the biggest employer now in the city of Cleveland. Um, IT is, is growing. Um, there's a lot of work uh, around kind of smart city type technology, which is exciting. Um, so we are diversifying. Um, but what's interesting thinking about the Great Lakes um, and, you know, where you're from too, it's when we think about the long game, uh, especially with climate change and you, you do that back of the envelope analysis of where businesses are going to want to locate, where people are going to want to locate. Uh, it's up here. Honestly, we, we have access to fresh water. Uh, you know, 20% of the world's fresh water in the Great Lakes. Um, we don't have, um, you know, in general, giant natural disasters. Uh, our, our weather is mild, um, comparably. And our infrastructure is there. You know, we are a city, again, that was built for more people. We have sort of excess capacity to welcome more businesses and residents. So I think you're going to see um, over time that Great Lakes cities. uh you know, I think there's going to be a lot more migration, climate migration, climate refugees, whatever you want to call it. But I think we're going to see more and more people kind of moving back uh, to the Great Lakes and to the Midwest. Yeah, that's a really interesting forecast. And I've certainly heard others uh, mentioning the same. Um, and, and of course, I'm located out in Colorado, the, the semi-arid Rocky Mountain West, where uh, water is such a precious and uh, it seems increasingly limited resource. Um, so hopefully we'll have opportunities as a society to see more balancing around all of that. And uh, to have that much fresh water available is obviously an incredible gift and, and clearly uh, a resource that hopefully we are all uh, doubling down to really protect and make sure we don't uh, pollute and uh, you know take good care of that because 20% uh, of the world's uh, fresh water that is quite a lot yeah yeah no it's pretty crazy um and again kind of back to that 50th anniversary we were marking that progress right from just the river that feeds our lake erie you know literally 50 years ago there was there was nothing living in the river and there's basically no oxygen in the river um and it actually caught on fire 13 times over the course of 101 years, dating all the way back to uh, 1868 was the first time a river caught on fire. And many rivers actually caught on fire across the country, especially the Midwest. Um, but as we, as we looked back, it was, uh, you know, what made this progress? You know, how did we get from no life in a river that's burning to over 70 species of fish surviving and thriving, many of which only survived in very clean water? And where we have a shared river with industry still, you know, going to the steel plant, but also recreation, more and more recreation everywhere on the river. Um, and how did we get here? It was a combination of determined local action over 50 years, combined with strong federal and state policy. I mean, that's how you scale up progress. 
Um, and so a lot of what we do in the cities is, is our part, right? We do what we can on, on local policy and, and progress, but you know, our ceiling is, is here, you know, to get to here, really we do need that strong base of uh, state and federal policy, I think that to accelerate progress even further. So that, that's kind of how in our position the, the local government interacts with regional, state, federal, federal government, and international too, the UN. Right, exactly. You know, it, it's such a curious and bizarre and, and probably a, a perilous time at the moment in, in that at the level of the global community, the international community, we have general consensus around major existential challenges or crises like the climate crisis. And we have at cities, municipalities across the country, a general consensus of the same sort. Uh, many states are responding now to deal with the incredible challenges we have ahead of us. But we of course have at the national, the federal level right now in the United States, a very different uh, situation going on. And I'm, I'm struck that in the United States, we now have cities, municipalities representing well over 50% of the total population of the country who have effectively signed on to the Paris Climate Accord, who have effectively said, yes, this, this uh, crisis is real and we're gonna do everything we can to deal with it. And, and you're part of that. And, and I'm wondering if you can share with our audience what, what that looks like in terms of all the uh, cross collaboration going on with your colleagues. You mentioned Pittsburgh, and I know you're networked with other sustainability officers throughout the country. Um, how much are you guys able to, to share and uh, share in the learning process right now? Yeah, that's a, a great question. The, so our, the network, one of the networks we're in is this Urban Sustainability Directors Network, uh, USDN. You go to usdn.org, and there is some public-facing uh, content there. Um, so we, we share through that network, along with some other networks as well, um, a lot of these best practices uh, within cities. Because, you know, there's a lot of work going on to compare cities and kind of rank them against each other in terms of sustainability. That's a very difficult thing to do. Because um, depending on what topic you're talking about, um, each city kind of does things a little differently. Um, and I think different cities are looked to for leadership in different sustainability topics. Um, but, you know, I think there are some commonalities that, that we share and we work on. Um, you know, certainly energy is, is number one. I'd say in general, especially with respect to climate, both energy efficiency and, and renewable energy. So we, along with uh, saying we are still in, uh, to your point on uh, the Paris uh, Climate Accord, uh, we also recently, um, well, last, late last year, signed on to the 100% renewable goal. So getting to 100% for us, renewable electricity. Um, there's a lot of cities also working on that. So, you know, with our specific plan, which we have a, a grant we're going to be implementing over the next year, how do you get to 100% renewable, make this huge transition in our economy, like complete transformation of, of how we do things? How do you do that with uh, workforce development, uh, jobs, and, and equity, especially racial equity at the core? You know, have, has there ever been a, <laughs> an example in the history of mankind where there's been a giant shift in the economy and the the, exist, the people who had wealth just got richer. You know, they, they figure out a way to, to adjust. Um, we want to think about in Cleveland, which is still uh, has the second highest poverty rate in the country. Um, as we make that transition, how do we make it so 
you know, those who are historically underserved benefit from that transition uh, to a clean, clean energy economy. So that's the kind of things we work on a lot with, um, you know, certainly recycling. There's a lot going on with, you know, China not accepting our, a lot of our plastics and paper. How are cities responding to that? So we can work with each other across a lot of cities to figure that out. Um, Transportation's a big one. Actually, just today, we launched our uh, shared mobility pilot. So we have four scooter companies, a dockless bike company uh, in the city operating now. Um, there's a lot of best practices. That, that is a world that's changing every week. <laughs> you know, yeah. how do you stay on top of that? We, we work across cities to figure that stuff out. Um, so I can go down the line, you know, from trees to land use, you know, clean water issues, dot 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 so there's just so much innovation going on um, that we really depend uh, i think a lot on each other to figure that stuff out yeah that's uh it's really exciting you know your your commentary around this wholesale transformation of economy with a focus on on equity uh among a diverse population reminds me a little bit of uh world war ii mm. and our mobilization there i understand provided many, many opportunities to women, to people of color uh, who didn't previously have access to some of those opportunities. And not to say that it was a panacea or that clearly we didn't have a whole lot more work to do after the end of World War II, but it was a step forward, as I understand it, for many folks um, accessing different uh, progress, different opportunities, different socioeconomic uh, strata, basically, in the society. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, how you guys are thinking about that when you're thinking about your strategies and your plans, how to, how to enhance the, the social equity that is of, of so much importance. Yeah, the, you know, from my perspective, you know, when we think about the triple bottom line of sustainability, you know, people, planet, profit, or, uh, you know, environment, economy, and equity, you know, you know, in many ways it started with the environment, right? Like it was, half century ago, even of course, even further back, was how do we protect the environment um, for people to go and visit the environment? Um, so that was, you know, for a long time, the driving force. Then the economy, I would say, maybe became next. If people saw that opportunity to um, not only be, do good for the environment, but also good for the pocketbooks, both residential, but also businesses. Um, and I would say the equity pieces, it was light to the game, you know, and I think a lot of cities would recognize that. And it was always, I think for a long time, it was kind of a check the box uh, type of scenario. But, you know, a lot of cities are really shifting to having equity be really at the front and center of what we do. Um, and a lot of that is really engagement. Um, it's, you know, really talking to everyone in the community to get their perspective on what the priorities should be. And also supporting them in their own work um, at the residential level, uh, at the neighborhood level. So for us, you know, I think it started with our, our tree plan. I think it was really the first plan we did that was had equity at the core. So this is maybe five years ago, four years ago, uh, we worked with four neighborhood partners in developing this tree plan along with the city. And we basically put in there thinking about how do you prioritize who gets trees? Uh, and it wasn't just, you know, clearly where trees are is an important thing. We know the percent canopy in different neighborhoods. But it goes much beyond that too. It goes, we also looked at income levels, race, uh, education, um, asthma levels, uh, property values, you know, potential for uh, rainwater capture, 
all these things kind of then feed into where a tree should go. Um, and then we did, we updated our climate action plan last year. And, and through that process, we spent a lot of time on these cross cutting factors, not so much the nuts and bolts of sustainability historically, like energy, waste, you know, we were focused a lot on, well, business leadership, uh, resilience, um, racial equity and jobs. And we even created a racial equity tool with 20 organizations to basically assess every action in that plan against this tool and to see, are we, you know, are we doing enough? Can we do more to advance equity through this sustainability or climate action? Um, and then the, finally, the last thing we did was had 12 neighborhood workshops through that process in 12 different neighborhoods, historically undisturbed, got input on what should be in the plan, what language should be used even. Uh, but also, we uh, basically also created neighborhood level grants through our Cleveland Climate Action Fund to support people in their own work. If they, if they wanted to do a neighborhood-based project, there was funding available for them to do that. So, you know, long story short, to do things equitably, you need to put resources and time, effort, people into that, you know? It really does take a lot of uh, forethought to do it well. Well, I'm, I'm really curious too, you mentioned uh, to me uh, before we were recording that uh, Cleveland is the second poorest of the major uh, cities in the United States, uh, right after Detroit. And I imagine that means you've got, as a municipality, very significant resource constraints that you're dealing with, as many municipalities are. How do, you, how do you manage that? How does that get balanced in the making process? Well, part of what that climate action plan process was, you know, for, for climate action as community-wide, for climate action sustainability to raise to these other priorities of education, health, um, you know, economic development, safety, et cetera, you, you know, you basically have to meet people where they are and identify sustainability solutions that are also safety solutions, health solutions, yeah. uh, economic development solutions. Um, so that really is the focus of our, our plan, is putting that forward uh, as a priority. Um, and the other piece, which was critical for Cleveland, is anything we do well and big has to be done in collaboration. So we, have, we had 90 organizations as part of this planning process. And anything, again, our Cleveland Tree Coalition, we need to double our tree canopy in a dozen years. That's our, that's our goal. We have over 30 organizations as part of our tree coalition. Um, so that's a lot of our work, honestly, and a lot of other cities too. We sort of act as a convener collaborator on these topics and it's sort of a neutral one, right? As a, as a local government to bring all these parties together to, to go forward in a, in a at least fairly, uh, you know, consistent straight path. Um, but while allowing for innovation along the way. So that's a lot of what we do as an office is that um, identifying those opportunities for collaboration and then bringing those parties together. One of the things I love about the approach you're describing is that when we approach challenges with a design mindset and we layer in multiple benefits and are seeking to basically solve for multiple interrelated problems, it seems our thinking actually can evolve and get to a more ecological uh, versus a highly linear or highly mechanistic understanding of how these systems are actually working. And 
my perspective is that having studied design and all of this for many years is that the ecological framework is actually much more uh, accurate and apropos for working with and and making change within very complex systems. And I'm, I'm, I'm it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing day in and day out. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And it's interesting. Our so we launched Sustainable Cleveland 2019 ten years ago, and um, we had, I, I hadn't started yet, but there was a um, a three day summit and. Uh, like 600, 700 people showed up for three days to kind of co-create what sustainability means for, for Cleveland and Northeast Ohio. Uh, and that was the whole, that was the whole kind of mantra was this is a larger ecosystem. Um, we need to have all these different sectors talking to each other um, because they are all connected. So we had retirees connected the, you know, CEOs to students, to nonprofits, to government, all at its table together working these things out and seeing, you know, where everyone can kind of contribute. So we've used, it's basically we use this model called appreciative inquiry, which was developed out of a case Western reserve university here locally in Cleveland. Uh, David Cooperider is the really created it. Uh, and it's been used everywhere at this point at the UN to many other businesses. Um, but that's the whole idea is to allow for that sort of organic, uh, innovation really through these large complex businesses or cities in our case. Um, and also to not go look at things from a problem solving perspective, um, but almost how do you build from strengths to address the challenges you're facing as a city? Not ignoring the stuff we're doing badly, but also not focusing on problem solving. I think in Cleveland, we did that for 50 years. <laughs> here's a problem, here's a problem. How do we solve it? How do we solve it? Like, let's kind of get beyond that to, you know, thinking a little bit more expansively and um, holistically. That's kind of what we've been doing um, in the initiative and you know it started off in 09 and you know we've had over 30 volunteer working groups since then who are just who come together meet at the summit and then they continue for the other 363 days a year to do some of the work and a lot of those working groups have turned into for-profit companies nonprofits who you know today are, are really advancing that work so it's been an interesting model at a, a citywide scale yeah, it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, let me take this opportunity to remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. And today we are speaking with Matt Gray, the Chief of Sustainability for the City of Cleveland. And uh, if any of you would like to get more information about what Matt and his team and colleagues are doing, you can go to sustainablecleveland.org uh, as a way to find all kinds of different information and resources. I also want to mention that this podcast series is made possible by the generous support of all kinds of individuals who have joined our monthly giving program. And if you have not yet joined and would like to, you can go to whyonearth.org support uh, to sign up for a monthly donation at any level that works for you. And when you join, I'll be sure to send you a special code so that you can download for free all of our ebook and audiobook resources. And you can even share these with your friends and colleagues. So be sure to join the monthly giving program if you haven't yet, whyonearth.org support. And I'd also like to thank some of our uh, corporate and organizational partners and sponsors uh, helping us with our community mobilization work all around the country. This includes our big upcoming 
Midwest and East Coast tour this November and our Coast to Coast tour in 2020. Uh, these sponsors include the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, Earth Coast Productions, Equal Exchange, the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, the Lidge Family Foundation, Madeira Outdoor, Patagonia, Purium, and Waylay Waters. So a huge thanks to all of you for supporting this work. And uh, it takes obviously a village, way more than a village, it takes massive coordination and collaboration for all of this to be uh, happening. And, and Matt, that's probably um, something that resonates for you uh, in, a, in a big, big way. It sounds like you are uh, interfacing with so many different organizations and stakeholders. Uh, I imagine sometimes that can get a bit intense and even perhaps a bit overwhelming. And I'm, I'm just curious for you on, on a personal note, uh, what are some of the practices you have to help maintain that, that balance, that health, that well-being in your position of leadership that's so important to this kind of work that you're mobilizing? Mm. Um, that's a, a great question. Actually, there's a lot of work going on now in personal, personal sustainability, even among our our network, um, you know, certainly uh, for me, I, you know, I have a two and a half year old uh, yeah. Grace, no longer baby Grace, but uh, just Grace. Uh, so it definitely helps uh, provide perspective for me, um, recharges me, you know, certainly they're less sleep at times, but it doesn't necessarily mean uh, less recharged. So I think I uh, definitely get a lot from her. Um, and, you know, I think, there, you know, certainly we have a leadership role um, in the community, but I think this idea of shared ownership um, in a city, not just, you know, me, but like all these companies and all these nonprofits working together, it does, it's really, uh, you know, internalizing that I think can take the load off a little bit. Um, and then there, people aren't necessarily looking at you for all the solutions, you know, and I think that helps a lot. I think it can get overwhelming when the city government or any organization just tries to take on too much itself. Um, and and that, that also means that sometimes if there isn't community-wide buying on something, even though you think it's personally important, then maybe you shelve that for a little bit. And I think that's what we've had to do, you know, on different initiatives. Say, okay, maybe we're just not ready for this because it'll just be such an uphill battle and our personal sustainability will suffer for it. Uh, work on let's let's kind of work with where people are take that one you know one step higher and I think that's worked pretty well pretty well for us so you know I am struck that uh, you basically are in a position uh, that now exists in virtually every major city in this country and even internationally uh, virtually every major university has a chief sustainability officer or director of sustainability. And I think virtually at least the majority of the Fortune 1000, and I, I think it's, it's a much higher number than 50% uh, at this point, also have chief sustainability officers. And these are positions that 15, 20 years ago literally didn't exist yet. And yeah. I, I'm curious, two-part two question. One, how how did you get into this? What was your personal path from, say, you know, your middle school or high school days that got you here? And, and two, 
what is it like to be right at the floor of such massive social change as evidenced by the emergence of this position in virtually every major institution in our country? Yeah, the, um, yeah, so my personal path, um, and it's everyone's personal path to these, you know, sustainability leadership positions is different. Um, you know, I, my really first experience was with, uh, nature, uh, and, uh, working with the student conservation association. So when I was 17, I volunteered to go to the, the wilds of Indiana at a naval base to build trails for five weeks um, with seven other high schoolers. Uh, never had gone camping in my life. And uh, it was a really transformative experience for me. Just the hard work, first of all, um, kind of sweat equity you put in. Uh, but just being out there every night camping for five weeks straight was uh, really transformative for me. So the so for me, it kind of started with conservation ethic. And then I used to, in the college, I ended up, uh, leading some of those crews, um, which is the hardest job I've ever had for sure is wrangling eight uh, teenagers out in the woods. Um, and then so, so sort of conservation, um, my undergraduate was uh, industrial engineering and uh, anthropology. Doesn't make much sense, but uh, these kind of expansive, uh, you know, philosophies in terms of engineering and, um, you know, uh, anthropology. So but I've always was interested in environmental issues. Uh, so after I graduated, I went to Vermont, worked um, for a nonprofit there on water issues, and I did, went to the private sector, worked for uh, Accenture, a big global consulting firm, to work on energy issues, luckily. Uh, and then I went through my master's program, building off of that to look at a uh, master's of public administration um, with a focus on uh, environmental issues. Um, so that kind of set me up. Uh, then I worked for the federal government for four years. So I went to DC. It's called a Presidential Management Fellowship. If anyone out there is interested in uh, federal service, it's a great, great, great uh, entrance into the federal government. I did so four years on green building, energy work. Uh, wanted to get more work in climate change, uh, resilience and adaptation. So uh, I got a Fulbright uh, to the uh, island country of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean, um, east of Madagascar very much in the middle of the ocean, uh, looking at the impacts of climate change on the island. And then I came back to Cleveland, lived in my parents' basement, age 31, uh, looking for my next job, and uh, was very lucky because, you know, from Cleveland I was here, and I was really interested in urban sustainability, and uh, positioned opened up with the mayor's office. So that's the kind of long story short of, uh, or not so short, of how I got to where I am today. And uh, you know, the second part of your question on, on the social change, uh, it is, uh, it's scary. Uh, I think the, the mass mobilization, the amount of interest in this topic, some of it's just curiosity, interest, but a lot of it is fear um, and it's warranted. Um, so it's how do you, I think a lot of our work is how do you channel that, you know, fear, urgency into tangible actions um, at the ground level while, you know, keeping your eye on these bigger advocacy issues that we all need to focus on again, state, federal, international level. And that, that to me, even personally is difficult. Sometimes it, it can feel daunting, overwhelming, but you, you, you gotta keep focused on, um, what you can do, you know, and plugging day to day. You know, it, uh, it's so cool hearing your story. I love, um, how it, it appears on some level to be perhaps a bit 
circuitous or perhaps even random, but what you've been doing is pulling together all these different bodies of knowledge and experiences into a, a very interdisciplinary framework, which is basically what's needed in these kinds of uh, challenges that we're, that we're dealing with. And um, I'm, I'm wondering when folks are thinking about the upcoming Sustainable Cleveland uh, 2019 uh, summit, can you just share dates and is that, is that something folks from other states or regions might want to come to? What kind of programming would folks expect there? You are, you are all invited uh, to the, uh, I guess now 11th annual Sustainable Cleveland Summit. Um, it is a, uh, well, because we had, we had such, uh, we had 25 events over five days for the 50th anniversary of the River Fire I mentioned. Uh, we're doing one day this year. We normally do a day and a half uh, now of these summits, but it's October 16th. Um, we basically can go, come for free. It's only 25 bucks if you don't volunteer. But actually, we, every year we get people from out of the out of state, kind of curious how we operate these appreciative inquiry summits. Um, so yeah, definitely welcome folks. Um, this year is going to be kind of half marking 10 years of progress, celebrating the people, especially who've made that happen. Uh, but also looking forward over the next how many years um, to really what are those key community-wide priorities that we all need to work on? Uh, energy clearly the 100% renewable energy piece but um, moving towards a circular economy uh, is it going to be a big part of the summit this year um, trees and rebuild the canopy parks our mayor signed on to a goal of every resident living within a uh, 10 minute walk of a, of a park how do we get there uh, that's going to be kind of how we co-create as a community how we get there so these are the kind of big topics we we work on at the summits and then implement over the next <laughs> over the rest of the year yeah, fabulous. You know, I know at least one of our uh, key ambassadors is going to be at the summit, and I'm just so excited that uh, the Wine Earth community will have some connection there. And um, I'm also thrilled, I can't help but give a quick shout out to um, our community mobilization kit, which we've just uh, made available, that is for soil stewardship and climate action. And it's literally for community leaders, neighborhood level leaders, anybody. Um, to do even more when it comes to soil and trees and things we can be doing in our own communities to tackle some of these big challenges. And just echoing your comments about how the fear can sometimes be so intense and how important it is for us to take action and to mobilize and to do what we can do um, is, is a huge part of the ethos and spirit of all the work we're doing at the Y on Earth community. And uh, mm -hmm. so Matt, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have this opportunity to connect with you today and to have this conversation and share a lot of the work that you're doing with our audience. Again, folks, if you want to get more information, you can go to sustainablecleveland.org. And uh, Matt, before we sign off here, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience uh, for the moment? Um, I just, just that last point you mentioned about um, I guess kind of the, the skill set, this collaboration piece. And I, I do like to mention when people ask me, how do you get into sustainability? You know, um, if you want to kind of get beyond your, you know, your resident, your neighborhood level project or the initiative in your business. And, and I guess I like to say is it doesn't require a sustainability master's degree at all. And in fact, some of those skills are sometimes easier to pick up. A lot of what we, I look for in new candidates and people joining the office is those is the collaboration, the curiosity, the empathy, 
um, almost these people skills are almost more important now when we talk about sustainability at a city scale and beyond. So, um, and the last thought is thank you uh, really for all, all the work you're doing as well, just to, to get this word out and, and supporting people in, in their work. Thank you. Absolutely, Matt. Well, it's been great talking with you today. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Hey, thank you. Take care. You too. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.